Warning, this episode contains adult language, mature situations, battle-weary generals, Roman politics, opportunistic heirs with a sister complex, gladiatorial combat, and amazing soundtracks. Listener discretion is advised. Spartan Motion Picture Review Episode X. Are you not entertained? Hello everyone and welcome to a very special episode of the Spark in Motion Picture Review. I'm your host Zan, saying konnichiwa, aloha, bonjourno, and what's up? Hey, it's Greta. Yes, and we are back for another fun-filled episode of the fun third podcast or second podcast from www.sparkin.com, where you can find all of your really cool podcasting needs with lots of cool shows, including our newest show, The TV Tuesday, where we talk about television. Television on Tuesdays. And we got some very cool shows that we're talking about, some which are very intriguing and engaging. But we are here to talk about movies. This is our movie review. And if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Spirekin is a podcast that provides informative reviews about connectly enhanced narratives. Long story short, every episode we talk about one or two different things. Since this is the motion picture review, obviously we talk about motion pictures. And we tell you the Pluses and minuses about them, how the art style is, the quality, the film grade, the score, the acting, and most importantly, if it's worth investing your time in or not. You don't have to agree with anything that we say, but we try to be educational, enlightening, exciting, and most importantly, entertaining. And you can find out any of our earlier episodes at www.spirekin.com. And all those other social media sites. And with that in mind, let's get to this momentous episode and the thing that we're talking about because this is something which i actually had not watched even though everyone said you gotta watch it you gotta watch and i was like eh, i don't want to watch it. it's too much eh, i don't want to watch it and it's weird especially because the fact that i am such a mythology buff and a it's also weird that neither of us had seen it it was weird that neither of us had seen because it it's such an acclaimed film there's not many movies out there that one of us hasn't seen there's a bunch of movies we haven't seen, but like movies of this magnitude, I agree with. So let's get the nitty gritty out of the way, shall we? So this is a film that was directed by resident psychopathic director Ridley Scott, the guy who created Alien, Blade Runner, Legend, The Martian, and other films where he would make different versions of it. Like, just look at Blade Runner. There's nine different versions of that movie. Alien, there's five different versions of that movie. This movie has three different versions of the movie. A near national cut, a director's cut, and a regular cut. So he's out of his fucking mind. He's a little bit of a, I'm going to just make this the best movie ever, and I'm not satisfied ever. Also, fun little fact, he was born on my birthday. So, uh-huh. Or I, I share a birthday with him, rather, because he was first. However, this is a movie that was produced by Donald Wick and David Ferranzi and Branko Lusting, who also wrote the film. Actually, William Nicholson also wrote the film. And this was co-produced and released by DreamWorks and Universal Pictures. Now, the music and score of this film was done by Hans Zimmer. He's the guy that made the Pirates of the Caribbean soundtrack. And this sounds awfully similar to the Pirates of the Caribbean soundtrack. Which means it's awesome. Um, It's awesome. 50-50 on that. This came out in 2000, uh, May 1st in 2000 in Los Angeles. May 5th in the United States. And then May 12th in the United Kingdom. It has a runtime of 155 or 175 minutes. It, the budget for this movie was $103 million. It made $460.5 million. And it has a shit ton of awards. It's got five Academy Awards. It has the. How many awards? <laughs> That's right, folks. A shit ton. 
It's got four BAFTA awards, and it's inspired several TV shows, including Rome, and it has an accolade of actors in this movie. Uh, besides the basic actors of, let's say, it's got Russell Crowe in it, Joaquin Phoenix, Connie Nielsen. It's the last movie with Oliver Reed in it. It's got Derek Jacoby. It's Juman Hussan, Richard Harris, which surprisingly we see him again in this movie. <laughs> Rolf Muller, Tommy Flanagan, and these are just some of the names in this movie. It's got a huge star-studded cast of people who... Are they B-listers, you think? Uh, maybe. I don't think... Well, I would say B+. Well, Joaquin Phoenix is now. He just won Best Movie of the yeah. Year. And Russell Crowe's won an absurdly large amount of movies. And It doesn't feel like a B-list movie. It's just... We're watching it so far in the future from when it came out. Yeah. At the time, they're all A-listers. Yeah, especially like Oliver Reed. Uh, I know him from one. He was Athos in The Three Musketeers from the 70s. He was in Tommy as, as the dad. He was... In the Adventure of Baron Munchausen as Vulcan, and the one that I really know him from, he was Bill Sykes in Oliver. And the fact that this is his last movie and he died during production is so crazy. He had a heart attack. But let's say the actual title of this movie Gladiator. Yes, Gladiator. The winner of the best film of the year, best actor of the year, and best visual effects and best sound of the year this movie is considered a critical darling everyone loves everything about it and we've never seen it before so this is from fresh eyes and i've got to say this is a very engaging story it is the year is 180 anno domine which is ad so it's after supposedly the death of Christ, if you want to look at it, but it's actually no, that's what it means. Ida Domine is the in the year of our Lord. So yeah, <laughs> you're right. Thank you. You're welcome. Yes. So fun. and that's recorded, and everyone just heard it. Yes, and I'm not going to edit this out because it's me being. But anyway, it's Ida Domine 180 near Germany, or what will be Germany. A the Roman army is fighting Germanic tribesmen near Vindabona, and the Roman army is being led by Hispano-Roman general Maximus Decimus Meridius, and he leads his army to victory, would you say? Yes. In a glorious battle. He's an amazing leader, and that scene that they, it's, a, it's absolutely horrific what these men have to do in fighting battles and waging war, and... He has the respect and honor of his troops, and he's a phenomenal leader for his team. He's an amazing general, and also with him watching and observing is the actual emperor of the Roman Empire, Marcus Aurelius, the current Caesar. I keep wanting to call him king, but the appropriate title is Caesar. He is observing and watching this, and and with respect, because his army is saving the day according to them, or expanding the country. He's a little bit melancholy about this because he's been on the throne for over 20 years. And what has he accomplished? A lot of war. He's had four years of peace, and he's like, those four years were the best years of my reign. He hates the fact that he is a, a, a war emperor. And the thing is, he wonders, will I be remembered as 
a tyrant? Will I remember it as a peacemaker, a philosopher? What will I be remembered as? And he's a little depressed about this. So he decides in his infinite wisdom that he is going to leave his reign to the Senate. In order to make this go through, he's going to make Maximus his regent. So when he dies, Maximus becomes a regent, and then Maximus is going to help transition from an empire to back to being a republic. Which is not that bad. So let's really think about this. This is a big deal. This is... The, the emperor has a son. Um, his son is next in line for the throne. Commodus. Uh, Commodus. It should be going to him. He's planning on taking it over. And instead... The current ruler wants to give his title um, to the head general so that he can negotiate it to the Senate and end having uh Having an empire. Right. So put it back into the people. Which is a noble cause if you think about it. However, like creating a republic. However, as you look at this, his son is not someone who's on the front lines. He's not a guy who's been there. It's He's like a bill, it's like a billionaire saying to their heir, "I'm donating all of my worldly possessions and money and you're on your own, kid." Pretty much that is the case. Yeah. Yeah. And when you see him, Commodius is not the perfect son. He's not I'm there with you, dad. I'm helping you out. No. He is, I'm not a warlike man, I'm kind of a jerk, but his thing is he's ambitious. And he can he, fight. He's, he's, he can't fight. He's ambitious and he's sneaky. He is, a good example would be he's Littlefinger from Game of Thrones. He's intelligent, he's not warlike, but he's able to position pieces around. But he does love he's his father. Political. Yes. And he wants his father to love him. His father is basically Ravenclaw, and he is basically Slytherin. Oh, he's totally Slytherin, and his father wants to be Ravenclaw, but he's forcing the to Gryffindor. Sorry, not to get Harry Potter on everyone. Oh, we completely forgot his sister, who is in love with Maximus. And there's one other element to this which we have to remember. The fact is that the Emperor wants this to happen. Maximus, his whole thing is that he doesn't give a shit. He does. He does give... He loves Rome. He loves Rome, and he wants to do what's best for Rome. And the fact that the emperor is asking him to do this is a great honor, and he would do it. And the reason why Maximus is being asked of this... Because he doesn't want it. He doesn't want it. He's, he's not political. He just wants to go home, see his family, and live on his farm. And he's smart enough not to want it. And that's why he has to have it. That's what the Caesar says. That's what the emperor tells him. He's like, because you're... you don't want it, that's why you have to have it. And also, what else does he want? The His daughter, his eldest daughter, wants Maximus. She's in love with him, like madly in love with him. But he's devoted to his wife, devoted to his child, and he wants to Instead, go home. Instead, that poor, beautiful empress... Emperor's daughter. Essentially a princess. Her, yeah, basically a princess. I didn't know what the right word was for princess. 
has her creepy brother have an inappropriate love for her. Yeah, he's like yeah. creepily in love with her. It's not even like, it's like borderline incest. It's not borderline, honey. That's incest. No, by the end, it's, you're going to do this or I'm going to kill you. It he becomes that. Flat it's... out in the movie says, you need to have my heir. Yeah, he gets to that point, but it's not yeah. incest yet. It doesn't happen. So, this happens. This is the situation as it is. And we, as we said, the army is 100% loyal to Maximus. He controls the armies. Whoever he goes with, because the politicians are also vying for his attention, saying, hey, back me up, right? And Aaron's like, back me up. And Commodus is like, will you back me up? Because whoever Maximus backs up, they have the power of the entire army. So it's kind of a big position. And he gives, and Marcus Aurelius gives Maximus a day to think about it. By the night, tell me what you'd think. However, when he tells his son his entire plan, as you could probably guess, Commodius is not happy. Now, first of all, he brought his son out to the battlefield because he's getting ready to hand over the throne because he's... Dying. He's old. He knows he's old. He's at the end. Commodius doesn't like what the father says, knows that only... Maximus knows and his father so he decides to embrace his dad say why why didn't you ever love me boohoo all is me and then smother him he kills him in a very unique way it's not a stab it's not a punch it's he holds him against his chest and then just smothers him while both are crying and there's actually a deleted scene later on when he sees a bust of his father and he starts smashing it with his sword and then he drops the sword and just hugs it because he loves his father but it's a why didn't daddy love me? Because you're a psycho killer that's in love with your sister. That's why daddy didn't love you. So, he is now officially the new emperor. Maximus go- finds out that Caesar has died and there's a new Caesar. The king is dead. All hail the new king. Because Commodius proclaims himself the new emperor. And he says to Maximus, take my hand. You only get one chance. Join me and together we can rule this empire and make things great. Be on my side or be my enemy, basically. And Maximus refuses. He says, you know what? Screw this. I don't need this. And as he prepares to leave, his second-in-command betrays him and arrests him and is going to kill him. And then he tells his second-in-command, listen, please watch over my wife and child. That's all I ask. You're going to kill me? Fine. Kill me. Don't worry about it. And his friend, this guy who he's dripped blood with, says, your wife and child will be waiting for you in the afterlife. So they're going to kill his family. But that's also kind of... As well. The warrior's thing. The movie opens with him saying, with Maximus having this beautiful speech... Um, to his generals or whoever, you know, the warrior, whatever appropriate term it is. Um, but basically saying, if you find yourself in a beautiful open field... You've died. Don't you're, worry. You're in Elysium, you've died. You're, you're done. Enjoy. That was quick. So, and their whole thing was a little bit morbid, but when you're off to war battling, it, in the grand scheme of things, it's not as morbid as you would think. So... 
you're going to see your family in the afterlife. I didn't take it as we're going to go kill your family. I took it as, oh, you're done. But you, you'll see him again. Don't worry. You guess that you found that he is going to kill his family, but they take him away and they're going to execute him. And he actually asks his the Praetorian guard who is taking him out. He says, "Give me a warrior's death. Don't just shoot me with arrows. Like cut my neck, kill me." Also, his servant, his 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 vassal or his squire, if valet, you want, whatever he is. Yeah, he um, was was gonna re- be ready and help him. But Maximus saves his life and says, no, 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 don't give me my sword. You know, do as they're saying. Do what we need to do. You'll be fine. And that's, for me, That that's the kind of leader he is. Yes. I'm not taking everyone down with me. He's not. However, it's when he goes to be killed, then he finds out the true nature of everything. They're going to kill his family as they're going to kill him. And remember, he is a general. He is a soldier. So he immediately disarms a war-winning soldier. Yes. He disarms the man who's about to kill him, kills him, and kills four other people around him in a vicious, just awesome fight sequence. And he's also injured at this moment. He's injured, he grabs one of the horses, and he proceeds to ride to Hispanol, to Spain, because he lives in Spain. He rides all the way to Spain to his home, which is near Trujillo. He gets there, and this is the messed up part. It's not just that they killed the family. They crucified the family after killing them and burning them alive. The it's, son and the wife. And the son's like six, five years old. So it's horrific. So bleeding, having ridden for a bunch of days, he takes his family, puts them down, buries them, and then he proceeds to pass out. He thinks he's dead. However, a bunch of slavers find him, and they patch him up. And this is actually kind of a cool point, a gross part, because they're patching him up. They're healing him using maggots. Because maggots only eat the the decayed flesh. They leave the healthy flesh. So they essentially just eat away all the bad stuff. But they leave him there and then he's taken to be sold to slavery and is sold to a gladiatorial trainer named Proximo who essentially reenacts the... And what's interesting is the armies and the generals have this little tattoo on... The meaty part. The mark of Sparta. Shoulder, right? That says, you know, it's like, hey, I'm a soldier, I'm a warrior, and that's where he got Maximus got really hurt. So as it's healing, he tries to like re-injure it to hide, destroy that tattoo, that marking, so that he can't be. He just becomes no name. Because they think he's a deserter anyway. Right. And Proximo has been reenacting the glad gladiator tournaments because they were disbanded by Marcus Aurelius. He's actually a freed slave because gladiatorial combat was the gladiators were all slaves, but the better you did, the more you perks you got. You could battle for your freedom or your death. Yeah. That's the gamble. And he ends up succeeding at this. He starts being reluctant, but he starts winning, but he's not into it. He's just... He's killing to kill. And and quickly and efficiently. Which is awesome, but the crowd doesn't love it as much as and, they could. And Proximo has to bring him aside and says, look, what do you want? Do you want a woman? Do you want a man? What do you want? He's like, listen, I can make you great. 
He's he's essentially the old coach who finds a new star and he's like, look, you suck, kid. You got this, but you don't have to have charisma. Let me teach you to be the he's best like, you can be. You're great. Give the fans what they want. Let it linger a little bit. Keep winning. Don't die. But give them, give them a show. Win the crowd over is what he says. Yes. He's like, and you'll win your freedom. And he admits at one point that he met Marcus Aurelius. Marcus Aurelius is the one who let him be free. It's kind of a good moment. It's really cute. Maximus goes, so you know him. He goes, no, I never said that, you know. He touched my shoulder. And the funny thing is that he knew Marcus, that Maximus knew Marcus Aurelius. Yeah, Marcus Aurelius wanted to give him the Caesarship. So, meanwhile, in uh, Rome, the new emperor has shown up, and pretty much he has bought the crowd, but they hate him. He's paid people to clap and wave at him, but no one's really respecting him. He's arguing with the Senate. He's ready to disband the Senate to make it just a straight-up empire. Very similar to a certain evil guy in a galactic empire in a certain movie that takes place in a galaxy far, far away a long, long time ago. Very similar to that. But he has to figure a way to win over the people so then he could disband the Senate. So what he's going to do is he's going to pay an absurd amount of money for 150 days of games. That's what he's going to do. That's what Commodius is going to do to make himself popular again. And the people love it. And they're fun with it. The Senate's like, is he out of his mind? We have no money. We're getting rid of stuff that we need. In two years, we're going to have a famine. huge Colosseum. They're like, you want to just make have a party and have people... Well, that's what the Colosseum was for, was for the games would have been canceled. But now he wants to do 150 days of different violent actions. And Proximo, since he was one of the best, or he was the best, he's coming to bring combatants to the Coliseum and when he comes back there's a cool scene where he sees a statue in front of it and he says hello old friend I didn't think I'd see you again a nice little touching moment of him and so Maximus is now in the Coliseum and his plan is to find the Emperor and kill him no if hands or buts he's gonna kill him but he knows what the Emperor looks like the Emperor knows what he looks like so very well, up close and personal. So he gets a masked helmet and just shows up in this huge battle where he, where it's a reenactment of the Battle of Zama and he plays the lead Carthaginian. And it's a scene where the savages are supposed to lose against the Romans, however... Funny thing, <laughs> they don't lose. No, they don't. They decimate the... A lot of them are former military guys. Yeah. And can't have those basic training principles to be able to work together as a team. Defeat. They defeat his team. And he has two main friends. One of them is Juba, who is a Nubidian, played by uh, Jumong Hosen. And he's a very eloquent, nice guy. And then there's Hagen, who is a German. He's just a straight-up tall, scary German who's like, angry man. And... But he's very funny, and they become kind of his comrades, and a little bit of like a brothers to him in this, because they're they're not celebrating, but they're working together to be the best they can be in this gladiator combat. And it's an amazing combative scene. And afterwards, Commodius comes out, and he's going to offer his congratulations, and immediately Maximus is ready to stab him in the throat. However, there's a little complication. Commodius's nephew, 
is with him. And he's a little kid who met Maximus earlier and said, are you the one named the Spaniard? I heard you killed a bunch of people. Like you're talking to your big... And Maximus's only focus is revenge. His only... He doesn't want money. He doesn't want fame. Nothing. He just wants, at this point, revenge. But this this little boy is not part of his revenge plan. He doesn't want to hurt the little boy. So he doesn't, and because of this, he's in range, but he kind of snubs the Emperor, because the Emperor asks him, remove your helmet, and he just turns his back to him. Which is a huge faux pas. But everyone's loving it. They think it's part of the show, and they think it's great, and when he turns around, he takes off his mask, and Commodius's mouth drops, because he says, I am Maximus Decimus Meridius, and I will have my revenge. No, it's... Uh, and he says his rank. He says, general to... General to the Northern Armies, husband to a dead wife, father to a slain son, and I will have my revenge. And Commodus is like, oh god. In the back of his head, he's like, damn it. In the back of his head, he's like, you're supposed to be dead. He's seeing a ghost. And he's like, this vexes me. This vexes me greatly. So he decides all these things to try to kill him. First, he has him fight against a legendary, undefeated... A uh, gladiator known as Tigers of Gaul, while a bunch of tigers are trying to eat him. Kind of epic scene. A lot of CGI tigers in that scene. However, Maximus I don't think all CGI. prevails. He he defeats him, and then to top it off, Commodius tells him to kill Tigris. Because first off, when he's gonna, he could tell them to kill Maximus, but the crowd is all for him. So if he kills him, he's going to lose the crowd. And his whole reason why he's doing these games are to gain the people's trust. So he has to let Maximus live. So when Maximus is fighting the Tigers of Gaul, he beats him and he tells Maximus to kill him by the thumbs down. Like, that's his signal saying, go ahead, finish him off, kill him. And everybody knows the signal. And so Maximus doesn't kill him. He spares his life. Which is a huge, defiant moment. And everyone's now chanting, Maximus the Merciful. They love it. They're eating their hands of it. They love him even more. And Commodus even is starts taunting him about his family's deaths. Saying that his son cried like a little girl when he got killed. As he was screaming. And Maximus just bites it and walks away. Now, while all this is going on, there's a bunch of political intrigue going on with the Senate. Two Senate members are talking to Commodius and trying to be like, hey, keep us in charge, things will be okay. While the majority of the Senate is like, yeah, this guy's out of his fucking mind, let's try to do something because there's a lot of things we have to take care of. The fact that the Christian area where the Grecians are is full of pox. What are we going to do about that? Oh, let them die. But we can't do that. And it's they're thinking the long game while the two plotters are just like yes whatever you say master they're bootlicking versus the one guy and the one head of the senator gracious is kind of getting help from the sister we talked about Commodus' sister lucilla who really likes maximus and she actually goes up and sees him and he's like yeah no i don't want any part of your plan he wants to just do his own thing and eventually he'll kill him However, as we said, uh, Maximus's second, or sorry, his valet, squire, ex-orderly, Circio, comes up to him during one of the aftermaths. Like, you know when you see the 
athletes, and they're getting pictures and they're signing autographs. His 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 orderly sees him and says, "Listen, the army is still for you. We're still here with you." They are so excited to hear you're not dead. Yes. So if he leaves and goes to the north and they see him alive, he would have control of the entire army and he could take over Rome immediately. So he agrees to see Lucilla and they set a whole thing up where they're going to have him escape. But Commodus finds out because of loose lips, finds out about his sister, then he blackmails his sister into being really creepy and saying, I'm going to... You're gonna act. You're gonna love me like I love you, and you're gonna give me my own. Uh, well, he threatens her son, not just her life, but her son's life, and that's really all that a mother thinks about. He says, "If you do anything against me, I'm gonna kill your son, no matter what." And then he kills the majority of the people who are involved. Kills Proximo. Kills everybody. Kills Circio, and then Maximus is captured. Locks up the main. Um. All the rem- dignitary guy. Yeah, has him arrested, and then he decides, you know what? If the people want it, they're gonna get it. I'm gonna fight Maximus, and because he's a sniveling little coward, he stabs Maximus first in the back. In this way, he'll have an advantage. However, you don't think about the fact that this is a Spartan soldier who is completely focused on just murdering. And avenging his family. It doesn't matter if he's stabbed, if he's going to die. He wants to die. All that matters to him is that he kills Commodius and then fulfills what Marcus Aurelius wanted. So in an amazing fight sequence, he proceeds to beat the hell out of Commodius, disarming him. And then when Commodius is like, help me, give me help, his all of his soldiers are like... Someone give me a sword. Not one. They're like, nope. In fact, what I love about that scene is all of the soldiers tighten up and kind of like dig their swords into the ground and hold their shields tough. They are not going to play. It's like, no, you wanted to fight him, you're fighting him. In Roman culture, unlike Christian culture, they're not intellectuals, they are warriors. Warriors. And the fact that he's asking for help is a bit of a faux pas, to say the least. It's kind of douchey to do. And more importantly, they all hate him. He's in the, against their general, so they want their general to win. And, and so essentially, he looks at his first in command and says, Give me your sword. And his first in command, does he walk away or does he just stand there in defiance? He does nothing. He just, no, he says, uh, Don't give him, uh, don't relinquish your weapons. To him, and he has to fight him. He pulls out the dagger that he stabbed him with, but Maximus just uses it and kills because him. Because he's asking for a sword, yet he still has a hidden knife up his sleeve. However, and this is the best part of the film, is that Maximus is dying. And during this entire fight sequence, he is teetering between Elysium and the living world. He's dying, so he's on the afterlife in the world. And you see his perspective that he's seeing both. Like, he's seeing this walled gate and this doorway, and he's trying to walk towards it. It's kind of like when people say that they see the light. He's trying to, like, he sees the light, he's in the tunnel, he wants to go there. He's going to Elysium, but at the same time, he's in the real world, and what's blocking him is Commodius, and he proceeds to fight and kill Commodius. And then, after he kills him, he gives 
exactly the orders that Marcus Aurelius says. He says, give the give the power to the Senate. Uh, this is what this is what Marcus Aurelius asked, and then afterwards he just dies. He just succumbs to his death. No, the princess comes down and says, "Go, go to them." Yes, she does. Because she realizes what's happening. She tells him. She does tell him to go home, and he goes. And then instantly, he's like fighting it, 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 staying alive. But he's able to rest in the scene, and he dies. And then all of the soldiers proceed to go and give. Pick him his body up very respectfully, and carry him out as a hero that he is. Meanwhile, Commodius is just laying there in the ground, just left alone. Now, did they pick him up? Probably, yeah, but... Yeah, because they show the Colosseum again, and his body's not there. We don't know what happened to his body. They could have stabbed his body multiple times. I and done her. the lions ate it. But his friends and allies were honored as soldiers of Rome, and at the end of the film, uh, Juba, uh, uh, Dijon Husson's character, goes to the Colosseum at night, and at the spot where he died... He buries this bag that Maximus had, which had figures, effigies of his wife and son, which were from his personal family altar that you pray to every night to the gods, in his ring. And he says, I'll see you soon, my friend, but not yet. But not today. So we've given the entire plot of this movie, but it's such... It's, I, I there's can't, no real spoilers, because the movie's been out long enough. 20 years. 20 years exactly, so... Oh my gosh, we're old. Because it came out in May. <laughs> it came out 20 years exactly. This movie is one of those films that, one, I'm surprised I never watched. Because, yeah, as I said, it's a good one. I'm a mythology buff, but the story is really well done. And it's a revenge story that's poetic. It's in. And there's a lot of fight and gore, but it's not so bloody that it's hard to watch. Like, it's a good. Well, we watched the TV version, so it was edited severely. So all the nude scenes with Lucilia are gone. All the blood was fast forwarded in the fight sequence. No, but it's just not as horrific as I thought it would be, you know? It was. I a, liked it. It's a Roman war movie, and it's done well. And. Contrary to what many people believe, like that 300 is better than this. No, this is an excellent film. It focuses on the world, and it's done well. It shows how the Roman Empire, how far it went. It wasn't just, oh, they're this. It's like, because he's a Hispaniol Roman. He's a Spanish Roman. He's known as the Spaniard. And Russell Crowe does a great job of this movie as the essentially the main character the storyteller the man who is this is following the man britain peaceful but strong i see him as resigned because at the beginning he's he's doing his job but he's i want to go home i don't want to do this anymore i don't want to kill anybody i want to go he's home there for his men he's there for his men he's there for his emperor yeah but then when the emperor says i need you to do this for me he's like i don't want to do this but i'm gonna do this because you asked me but i want to go home his thing is, I want to go home. But once Commodius takes it away from him, it becomes, I want to go home to, I want to kill you. And then, I'll kill myself, probably. Mm-hmm. He probably would have, if he didn't die, he would have killed himself. There was no, I'm going to find another love of my life. I'm going to find this. There, That's not in the cards. It's, nope, that's it for him. 
he loves his wife. And that's a pretty good thing. <laughs> and at one point, he loved the princess. We're just going to keep calling her princess. Yes, and Lucilla. And she still loves him. And she cares about him. And then even her brother, who's psychotic. If he on, they could have been together. He wouldn't. In a romantic comedy, they would have ended up together at the he end. Would, he would not have had a wife at that if it was no. a romantic comedy. He would not have had a wife. The whole thing was he just wants his family. No, but the wife died. He still, it's still... It's... And that would have been his stepson. In a romantic comedy, they would have ended with the marriage and the stepson would have been the... This is not that. Best man. This is not that movie. This is not that movie. But that yeah. would be someone needs to make the spinoff. Sorry about the noise. That we... was the least graceful moment of story today. Yes, our cat is going crazy today. She just surfed on a bunch of paperwork, but that's fine. Yes, because she you know she's confused as to what happened. However, back to the story at hand. Now, one, this is another movie we watch with Richard Harris. And it seems like he's stalking us with all the movies that we're watching. It's like, hey, it's Richard Harris again. Hey, it's Richard Harris again. He just, hey, who's that? It's Richard Harris. He keeps showing up in this. It's Dumbledore, this time as Marcus Aurelius. And he's actually really, like, he fits it perfectly as that old and weary emperor who wants to just... Die. He wants to retire, go fishing, and he wants to return Rome to a better time because he's idealistic and happy. And he loves his son, but he, he admits, like, he's like, look, listen, you didn't screw up, son. I know you don't have the things I thought you would have, but it's my fault. I'm the screw up, not you. I screwed you up. It was my, I, my failure. Meanwhile, Joaquin Phoenix in this role, he is great as this power-mad angry son who's he's a petulant child but it works so well with this yeah he's he almost reminds me of a forgotten middle child really middle child yeah because he's not the baby so he wasn't a favorite Mm. he's not the firstborn super proud of award-winning like not to say that he's not a he's not the firstborn. He's the next in line. He's the, he's entitled for all of it, but he comes off like a like a middle child. Like he, I almost expect him to stop and say, "Dad, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha." He does remind me of that. I could see that. I also see him a little bit like Zachary Quinto in Hotel Artemis, which is a movie we're eventually going to review. But in that movie, he's the ninth son, and he's like, Dad, listen, I'm the one who stuck around. I know you don't like me, but I'm here for you. And his dad's like, yeah, you're a piece of shit, but you know what? You're taking over the, the throne. Good luck. It's it's like that type of devotion, but this one, he is, I'll backstab you immediately. Now, Connie Nielsen as Lucilla, she is the older daughter. She is Marcus Aurelius' favorite. She's the one that should have been... Qu- empress but in the time there is no empress it's not like egypt where it's the queen of the nile it's not that it's it's rome it's rome man has to rule empire that they go and fight wars and battles but she is the intelligent thought-provoking child who knows what she's doing and she also is aware that her brother is a corrupt wrathful yeah but she also loves maximus she Loves him so much, even though he... And she says, what if what if you don't go back to your wife? What if you stay with me? And early on, before 
all, everything goes to shit. And he's like, it was another time. He treats it as, we were ships in the night, we passed, our time is over. And I do like that. Now, a couple of the other characters we had, um, Dijon Hussan. I keep saying his name wrong, Jiman Hussan. I'll, I'll eventually learn how to pronounce it right. But he, as Juba, I like the fact that he's the one who inspires him and that he's a great... If it was his, he was the storyteller, I would buy that. If he was the one who was telling the story of the gladiator. As a narrator. Yeah. And he's just a great secondary character, or tertiary character. The other guy, Hagan, or Rolf Molnar, as a Germanic warrior, was just kind of like, I am big German man. I crush things. And, the, and then the point where he pretends to, where they're testing his food after he's revealed, and he pretends to die, like, ah, I've been poisoned. Ah, ah, ah. Kind of the dad, like, oh no, I've been hurt so bad. Haha, it's fine. Like, he's funny, but he didn't have the same panache. Now, the other person we gotta bring up, Oliver Reed as Proximo. I love the fact that he had the glory days old athlete motif going for him. He was the, I can make you great. I can make you amazing. I can be the trainer who makes, you know, trains you to be the best. Like the trainer from Hercules. Well, yeah, that's it, but it's... Actually, that is it exactly. It's I can't think of a better phrase than that, but that's it exactly. It's that. And you buy it. And also when he talks about when he was freed, it's that longing of... I remembered how it was a moment that so ingrained in him, which made him who he is. And how it's such a personal moment. It's, it's like in his life, it's his number one moment in his life. It's... When he met Marcus Aurelius, when he was given this wooden sword that was his freedom. When he touched his shoulder with it. It's like the most touching story he has. And he's almost like a father figure to well, he's... Maximus for a bit. Because he's trying to help him to get to where he needs to go. He's like, if you want to get to where you need to go, you have to win the crowd over. And he teaches him to win the crowd over and he gives him his old armor. And just so many little things. Now, it's a really good movie. It is. Now, the we didn't talk a lot about the other senators, like David Chappelle and Thomas Arana, and I forgot the other, and uh, Derek Jacoby, who, if you ever watched Doctor Who, he was the guy who played Dr. Iana, who was actually the master. So, fun fact with that. He comes off really, really... um. Let's just say he likes little boys. No. He's Grecian. He doesn't like little boys. He likes well-manicured, fit men. That was not a, well, that was a little thin Nancy boy in that. He, no, he, he's, that was an adult. He's a Grecian. You can tell he's Greek. He's, he's, inter- he's their interpretation. Solomon Gamora comes to mind. Nah, well, uh, well, Greek, and that's kind of mean to say, but he comes off really just like old man with little, little, like, uh, little boyfriend. Yeah, and like the servant he had in that that area came off as like a pool boy. Yes, that's a that's a good example. He comes off like that, and then the other one, uh, David uh, Schofield as Senator Falco, comes off as yes, no matter whatever you want, Emperor. I kiss your toes. You're right. You're so smart. Yes, of course. Yes, yes, yes. You're right. Whatever you say needs to go. And this film is. Oh, and if you are a fan of 
Um, Conan the Barbarian. Our old friend, Sven Thorson, the guy who was smushed with a rock, who we made fun of in the first episode, of, or, the, or one of the early episodes of the podcast, from Conan the Barbarian, who played the dumb guy with the hammer, is back again as Tigress of Gaul. He still looks like he's on a lot of steroids. He's a huge guy, and he's it's cool that his mask had the tear on it. And you don't see his face, but it's it's a, it's a cool fight sequence, I have to admit. But all the actors do great. Now, who would you say is your MVP for this movie? Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe? Mm. I thought... I think this is the most favorite movie that I know of Russell Crowe in. Of mine personally. I like Russell Crowe in it. I think I like Juman Hussan a little better. I don't know why. I like him better in this movie. Him and Oliver Reed, like the side characters, I liked a little more. I mean, I know who my LVP is. My LVP is definitely the uh, David Schofield. He just came across as just lazy patrician senator. Just like, yes, yes, whatever you want, yes. My LVP was Joaquin Phoenix. Really? As a, You didn't think he was a good villain? I thought he was an okay villain. He's definitely creepy. He's definitely got a little psycho thing going. Um... He's definitely grown as an actor since we've seen him in, in Joker, you know, but he just seems like, uh, he was my LVP. I could see that. I, I think Joaquin Phoenix, I liked him too much and I think he just, he had such a good presence as this sleazy, just manipulative and just some of the scenes of him interacting, his body language is great in that film. Just... For example, the the anguish and pain you see when he kills his father. It isn't a, I got you, I'm going to get the throne. It's, I am i can't believe I'm doing this, and I'm so mad at you right now. And when he realizes he killed his father, he's just like, what did I do? Because he loves his dad. He hates his dad, but he loves his dad too. But I could see, I, could, I admit and I agree with what you said, though. I could see where you're, you're going with that, though. Yeah. Now, for other things, uh, set design and the actual points were great. Uh, I loved how they made the Coliseum look. It looked modern and new. I'm guessing that's what they thought it would be. And there's little touches that they did that were great. For with those like trap doors for like the 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 tigers. The tigers. I just love the other background images too. Like when you see all the different carts that were selling food and like the little cafes. And then, of course, you saw the uh, puppet, the two actors pretending to be, oh, it's Maximus the Merciful. Oh, oh, the Emperor is so mad at you. Oh, no. Because it shows the. They did such a great job with that, like showing. The world. Right. Showing what the culture was, how people learned, how society viewed their rulers they did that really well and the world building was great with that i loved how it was something to be said about a rumor being truth not that it is true but it's as good as true so if you win the the people over or they think that you're a bad guy if the people think that you're a bad guy you're a bad guy even if you're the best the people think that you're the best and you're really a bad guy you're winning that's a that is a good point with it uh so they had that little play going for the kids and maximus being the head guy that was a hint to joaquin phoenix like uh-oh 
It was, but also the thing is that a person who's bad, even if they spend all the money and they try to be like, look at me, I'm good, I did this, that's good, it's, you're going to be like, even if you're bad, when you're bad, people know it's bad, no matter how much press you do, saying, hey, this is, uh, look at all the good I did, look at these things I did, look at this, this, this competition I did, it's like, we know you're an asshole, so you're an asshole, that's the thing, it's, if you're, you know, if you're bad to the core, people are going to know it. The money doesn't spend it. And, and there are even some points when you see him spending money to make people like him, like he's feeding the poor. Like he straight up paid a bunch of bakers to make food, and they're just throwing the food out at the poor people, and it's like... Courtesy of me. Like, look at me, you'll enjoy this. Yes, everyone will forget the horrible things I'm doing. Sometimes throwing things at people doesn't always work. That's what happens in this. But I love the design of the film and all those little nuanced touches. The soundtrack... It's Hans Zimmer. It's very Pirates of Caribbean. Yeah. Now, the funny thing is that the costumes in this film, even though it won Best Costume, they're not historically correct at all. There were in the in the there were fantasy helmets that people made up. The the, the dress was you know supposed to be Greek Roman chic, where it's really just. A draped dress that's got a ribbon tied around it, an hourglass feel, which realistically doesn't even stay. It had to be stitched on like that. Yeah. Uh, other thing is that the set, the movie's set in second century A.D., but the imperial armor and helmets were from seventy-five A.D., so it's a century earlier. Uh, the fact that there were stirrups when there weren't stirrups, uh, the Praetorian Guard never wore purple because purple is considered uh, a royalty color. A royalty color. There's things that didn't exist. It's just like the fact the statues had pupils and no statue. If you look at all the old Roman statues, none of them have pupils. And it's just kind of. They might have been. They might as well have been wearing spectacles. Yes, they made a lot of things up, but I will admit it has the feel for a ancient roman movie it really does and that is a fun good thing and this like we said made a shit ton of money it's got a super high ron tomato score of 77 percent even though like the the costumes were not like historically accurate mm. and all of that i loved this movie and uh most people have cited the opening sequence of battle of germania as one of the best on-scene battle sequences ever and I've got to admit, it's a really well done scene, and it's they get the intensity of of gladiatorial combat, all the political intrigue underneath it, and it's a well done film. Now, out of our five point rating, I'm kind of on the fence about this because, on the one hand, it is a movie that took so long to watch, and now I'm really liking it, and probably wants to watch it again to get. To see it again, just uh, to go to pick through it further. But another part of me is like, I don't know. It feels there's some points that are a little off. The timing is a little weird at some points. It feels like some scenes should be longer than other scenes. Like the gladiatorial sequences is a lot shorter than you think. It's like most of it is Battle Germania, then his family dies, then it's a really short time of him being a gladiator, and then he's in Rome, and then it's. The majority of it is him in Rome. It wasn't really clear how he was sold into slavery. It wasn't super clear like he woke up 
They just kidnapped him. They He's just like, hey, this is what's gonna happen. They just straight up said, yeah, we're, we're we kidnapped you. You're gonna be a slave. That's it. There's no rhyme or reason. It's in the day when it's like we found you. You're gonna be our slave. Yeah, but that wasn't even like really spelled out until much later. That is true. So I'm gonna have to give this. And it's like, how do you go to a burnt down? house pick up somebody who's passed out now they're a slave like that like that needed to be fleshed out a little bit more for me like it makes sense if they're marauders and the guy and the guy who was selling him was really fucking shady yeah he's like said he's like you screwed me over last time you gave me these horrible giraffes that don't do anything but eat they don't paint you lied to me it's like well listen i'll give you a break i'll give you this much on the this guy that guy really was not like, I'm going to make you a slave by buying you a slave auction. No, he's like, I'm going to kidnap you because I've just found you on the street and I'm going to make you a slave. That's it. I think that I'm going to give this a... Because of some of, just some of the things that didn't weren't that great. The whole political intrigue was interesting. It felt like it was a little lacking. I'm going to give this a borrow from a friend. Borrow from a friend and don't return unless offered a... Um, I'm going to say... a. A gladius, a nice little gladius sword, shield. I agree. I say borrow from a friend. I really enjoyed it. I think we'll watch it again. I don't think it's a it's an amazing be end all end all movie. It's not. I agree. I do like the fact that he actually wanted to rename the project because it had so little to do with gladiators. <laughs> that makes sense. I think I would have rather this been named. Uh, uh, Maximus or something of that nature, but it could have been named Maximus. Mm-hmm. But it is a good film. I highly recommend you watch it. Um, if you haven't seen it, check it out. It is enjoyable. Uh, I don't. If you haven't seen it. Why'd you wait twenty years? Yes, you could see it on different. We saw it on our regular TV. You can find it on A and E. Sometime playing sometime. We DVR'd it, but you can buy it on. Or rent it on Amazon and rent it on uh, Vudu if you want to see it. $3. You want to own it, I'm pretty sure you can get the Blu-ray online. Right? Yep. Or buy it streaming. Well, if you buy the Blu-ray, you get the streaming anyway. So that's actually the better option. Right? Right. So, if you disagree with us or agree with us, email me. Zanspirekin.com or spirekin at gmail.com. Let us know what you think. If, if you're going to write a fanfic about making t- turning it into a romantic comedy where the princess and Maximus end up together at the end, then let us know that also. You do know that the majority of the fanfics for this are all slash fic between Commodius and him, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's the majority of the fanfics are Commodius and Maximus. Which just means that there's a opportunity here for a romantic comedy fanfic. The weirder part is the fact that that they have Maximus as the bottom, which is even more like, what the hell? But anyway, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. It's fun when you look up, like, I'm going to look this up just to see what happens. And you type it in, and you're like, oh, God, no, Rule 34 all over again. Anyway, so remember, you can check out any of our earlier episodes at www.sparker.com. You can email me personally at zanatsparker.com, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, Twitch, Actually, we're going to be putting stuff up on the Twitch network soon once I'm able to get a capture card. Because I'm going to order one of those portable capture cards and we'll see what we do from there. But, anyway, check out all that stuff. And with that in mind, let's get to the part you've all been waiting for. And what am I talking about? I'm talking about that one, that only, the Dodecahedron of Movies.
That's right, the Dodecahedron of Movies. It's a 12-sided object. It's what we've done is we've assigned nine movies to this 12-sided object. And what we're going to do is we're going to roll the Dodecahedron. Whatever number it lands on, that's what we're going to review in the next episode. And note I said nine on a 12-sided object. The reason why is if it lands on 10, well, then it is Greta's choice. Woohoo! Yeah, if I land on 11, it is roll again. And if it lands on 12, it is my choice. And we've got some interesting movies so far. We've got a lot of sword and sword swashbuckling. We've got some really weird ones. And then we got one movie which I don't even know if I'm going to even be able to find. So let me roll and see what we're going to review in the next episode. So roll it. Is it six or is it not? It's six. So in the next episode, one, two, three, four, five, six, we're going to be reviewing a movie that is starring not just Gerard Depardieu, but is also starring Leonardo DiCaprio, John Malkovich, and uh, who's and uh, Jeremy Irons, all playing very famous literary characters. What are we talking about? We're talking about the Man in the Iron Mask. I love this one. This is one which is an adaptation of an Alexandre Dumas book. And it's one I haven't seen in a long time, so it might be really good, or it might be just through the vision of nostalgia it was good, but it really sucks. We're going to find out next episode. But with that in mind, I think that's it. Remember to check out any of our earlier episodes, to check out our other podcasts, the Spyrokin Manga Review, the Spyrokin Game Review, the Spyrokin TV Tuesday, the James Bond reviews, and with that in mind... This is Greta. My favorite quote from this one is... The Emperor presented me with a rudeness. It's just a, a wooden sword, a symbol of your freedom. He, he touched me on the shoulder, and I was free. <laughs> You knew Marcus Aurelius. I did not say I knew him. I said he touched me on the shoulder once. And this is your host, Zan, for the Sparkin' Motion Picture Review. And my favorite quote from 2000's Gladiator is going to be... Three weeks from now, I will be harvesting my crops. Imagine where you will be. And it will be so. Hold the line! Stay with me! You find yourself alone, riding in green fields with the sun on your face. Do not be troubled, for you are in Elysium, and you're already dead! <laughs> Brothers, what we do in life echoes in eternity. Thank you very much. See you guys next time. Keep watching movies. Bye. Bye.
How can I reward Rome's greatest general? Let me go home. There is one more duty that I ask of you before you go home. My paths will pass to Maximus. Take my hand. I only offer it once. Father to a murdered son. Husband to a murdered wife. Why doesn't the hero reveal himself and tell us all your real name? You do have a name. My name is Gladiator. How dare you show your back to me? Slave! You will remove your helmet and tell me your name. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the north, general of the Felix Legions, loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next.